going to go through three psalms. We stopped short the last time. Uh, we didn't get through Psalm 35, so we're going to start there. And God willing, we'll get through to the end of Psalm 37. Psalm 35. Psalm of David. I like this uh, this particular psalm. It happens to coincide with where we just finished up 1 Samuel. And it's thought to have been dated around that same time where King Saul was hunting David throughout the land. And we see how uh, David just... Uh, just praise to the Lord for vindication and for protection and, and um, how he co- even complains to the Lord. And I think sometimes, you know, certainly we, we pray for, uh, for God's protection and his provision in our life and for his guidance. And um, sometimes those prayers can start off as complaints. But as, as so many times happens in the Psalms, David takes us through a journey and, um, and our lives, a lot of times, the circumstances that we're involved, with, involved in take us through a journey. And sometimes they do start off with just complaining to the Lord. And then hopefully they'll just move on to that time of prayer where we're seeking the Lord. And we're asking for Him to, to uh, make provision for us or to vindicate us or even... Thank you, Claire. Even to judge those who are coming against us. And, and we'll see in, the, in this psalm especially that that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that as long as we leave that to the Lord. Because sometimes we want to uh, pronounce judgment ourselves on our enemies, and that's really not our place. So I don't believe that it's a coincidence that God had taken us through 1 Samuel and just see that constant attack of, of the enemies of David coming against him and that David recorded his dealings with that and he shows us his insight into how God deals with not only the righteous but with the enemies of the righteous, with the wicked. And so we would be wise to apply these lessons to our own situations. It's, we can just bring it right into our own lives and we can make application for that so that God can minister to us during those times. So this psalm, Psalm 35, has three main themes running throughout it. Complaint, prayer, and praise. And so in David's weaknesses, we can see our own weaknesses. So I I like that. It's not sugar-coated. We can see the weaknesses of the people throughout the scriptures, and we can say, okay, God, I know that I'm not alone in that. You know, in the way that I view those things, in the way I think about those things, that there are weaknesses here that we can see. And, and so David records those things so, so that we can see our own failings, our own flaws. And then he shows us how to turn to God in those things so, so, so that we then can see the next step in this journey as we go through our circumstances is to turn to God, to go to Him in prayer. And to, and to take all of those things that are, that are affecting us and just go to Him and seek Him. And then He shows us His response to God's grace. And we just sang that beautiful song about 
God's grace, His amazing grace, covering us. And as we see David's response to God's grace, we can understand how God works in the lives of His people. So, in the first, we're going to go through the first ten verses, and we're going to see that first cycle of complaint, then prayer, and then praise. So, starting in verse 1. A psalm of David, Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler, and stand up for my help. Also, draw out the spear, and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those, who put, let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Let them be like the chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause they have hidden their net for me in a pit, which they have dug without cause for my life. Let destruction come upon him unexpectedly and let his net that he has hidden catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. So we see that pattern, right? Right in those 10 verses, complaint, prayer, and praise. In verse 1, we see David expressing his complaint to the Lord. He says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. We should take note, though, that David takes his grievance directly to God. He doesn't go to another person to, to deal with this situation. And we can be, listen, we can be tempted at times to take our complaints to another person. And I think there's a, there's a place for that. There's a place for us to to lift each other up, to bear each other's burdens. There's a place for good, godly, human-to-human counsel. But we shouldn't do that without also taking it before the Lord, who really is the great counselor, really is the one who's going to lead us out of whatever mess we find ourselves in. So as, as we can be tempted at times to bring our complaints to other people, make sure we bring them to God also. And, and even if it's in the form of a complaint, bring it before him. You know, Galatians 6.2 does say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there's a place for that, but not to exclude God from that. So then we see David's prayer for God's judgment on his enemies in verses 2 through 8. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Draw out the spear, he says, and stop those who pursue me. Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor. So David here is pleading with the Lord to, to take care of this situation, to take care of those who are going against him for God's judgment, righteous judgment against his enemies. You know, Jesus is the defender of the faithful and the protector for those who love him. And the wicked will be brought to justice. You know, sometimes we don't think that that's going to happen. And and we need to just remember that God's righteousness is perfect. 
His, his judgment is perfect. God, the wicked will be brought to justice and the righteous, God's people, will prevail. And David expresses his confidence in the Lord's ability and his desire to do that. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see the joy that comes when, when David finally realizes that God will set things right. There is none like him. He's incomparable. And we know we should express confidence in the fact that he'll set all things right. And then the second cycle in verses 11 through 18, we see David again repeating this. And in verse 11, it says, Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. I paced about as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. But in my adversity they rejoiced and gathered together. Attackers gathered against me, and I did not know it. They tore at me and did not cease. With ungodly mockers at feasts, they gnashed at me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. You see how the tone changes throughout those verses. You know, as David first, again, expresses that complaint to the Lord. Now, we don't know if this is a new complaint or if he's just repeating that first one in the, other, in the first ten verses. But he's saying, they reward me evil for my good. So sometimes, even though we may do good to others, they will reward you evil for that. You know, life just sometimes isn't fair. And David is, is sort of complaining to the Lord that, that you know, they're, they're coming against me, God. But I love what David does here. He says, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, in verse 13. David is saying, Listen, I know they're coming against me, but I'm praying for them. I'm going before you, Lord, on their behalf. That's difficult to do. When we know someone's coming against us, when we know someone has ill for us, that we can go to the Lord and pray for them. And it seemed as though David was inspiring the wrath of others. Now, sometimes we do the same. I know for many Christians, we tend to inspire the wrath of other people, of unbelievers in this world. See, the world just doesn't like our worldview, doesn't like our biblical perspective on things. You know, I was, um, obviously, you, you, know, you know of the uh, Aurora, Colorado shootings and uh, a lot of things going back and forth about that. And um, sometimes I see, we see posts on the internet and then I, I, I never just stop at the posts. I always read the comments the comments are really, it's, sometimes it's difficult to continue reading the comments. But we did get a post 
on the Facebook page about a pastor, um, the pastor of a, a young woman who was shot in the movie theater and who survived. And um, the woman's name is uh, Petra Anderson. Amazing story because it was, he, the pastor told of the miracle of her survival because what happened is she was born with a defect in her brain, actually. She was born with a, like, an, an, like a tube-like space running the length of her brain. And wouldn't you know, but the bullet, when it entered her skull, went right through that tube-like space, never touched any of her vital organs, never did any brain damage. So she's really a miracle survivor of that ordeal. So the pastor is just expressing you know, his faith in God, his, his faith in a loving God who spared this woman and, and even prepared her physically for this before she was born. And then you see the comments. Many of them were just, thank you for posting that. You know, how inspirational that story is. You know, thank you for letting us see just a picture of a personal incident. But some of the comments came in from a different worldview, a secular, humanistic worldview that, that looks at God as, as either a disinterested party with regard to his creation, or worse, a vindictive dictator who, who uses his power in an evil and cruel way. I mean, some of the comments came in like that. Now, now that's not unusual, actually. For someone that has that worldview, that's how they look at God. But if you'll allow me to just give you one short exchange between the pastor and one of those secularists who, who wrote a comment. And it was, very, it was all very nice, very kind words back and forth. But just listen to the different worldview. TJ. The unbeliever says, Petra is a very lucky woman, and I'm very happy that she will make a wonderful recovery and that her family won't have to suffer any more hardships. That said, why is this random chance being called a miracle? Modern medicine is the miracle because even with that defect, and he's speaking of the defect in her brain, she still needed life-saving surgery. Why were all those other people who were killed not saved by God, including a six-year-old girl? Tough question, right? I guess he likes to play favorites, TJ says. I guess God is the joker. Wow. So the pastor. Now, I did a little research on the pastor, too. I don't necessarily agree with all of his... His, his theology. But I think basically he was a very good pastor who really cared for his congregation, especially this woman. So the pastor says, thank you, TJ, for weighing in on this and for the kind attitude. If we are honest, we must admit we cannot explain everything. How we choose our worldview then has an impact on how we come to conclusions. And in any worldview, there are things which don't fit well. 
The death of some and the living of others trouble me sometimes. I was with the family of the six-year-old in the ICU, ICU waiting room. Their pain is not theoretical to me. I care and grieve. Still, out of my research, thoughtful faith, and life experience, I choose a worldview in which there is a good God. I also believe that God does not control every event on this planet or every choice a person makes. Is the parent responsible for all the actions of the grown, self-willed child? Not in my worldview. I think God might be working with bigger purposes in mind, with a view for impacting humanity for good and for eternity. I gain some peace because my worldview tells me the six-year-old is now experiencing heaven full of life and love. For me, my worldview has offered me meaning for life and peace in the times of trouble. Two opposing worldviews. As Christians, people will come against you just because you're a Christian, just because you have a certain worldview, a certain way of looking at these, these kinds of things. And we need to be ready. I think that's a great answer. You may not agree with me, but it's because we look at things completely differently. I look at the world according to the Bible. I look at the world according to the things of God. You look at the world differently. So, we shouldn't be surprised when, when people come against us. They may slander us, and that's ugly. But David uses the opportunity here in this psalm, back to the psalm, to even pray for his enemies. In Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Very difficult commands of Jesus to us. But we see throughout the scriptures how we are to respond and react when people come against us. David experienced the hatred of the people. So did Jesus. So, so will we. If this world hates you, Jesus said, know that it hated me before it hated you. Why should we be any different? And then David turns his complaint into prayer in verse 17, and then he turns it to praise, and he expresses gratitude. And it's something that he wants to express, with other, express, express to others in a public place. He's ready to express his gratitude to God for all of his goodness in public. And I think we should be ready to do that too. Not be ashamed of what God is doing in our lives. And then the third cycle, verses 19 through 28. Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful matters against the quiet ones in the land. They have also opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, our eyes have seen it. This you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silence. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause 
my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, so we would have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and be brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who exalt themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. So we see here, again, that cycle. But David's complaint is shorter. It's only a couple of verses. Perhaps throughout this psalm, he's starting to understand God's grace. He's starting to understand that God will bring vindication. He's starting to understand that God will intervene for him. And as we continually experience God's protection and deliverance, we should be ready to expect it in the future. We should know of his character and that if he's done it before, he, he will do it again. And David's prayer for God's vindication, always better than advocating for our own cause to allow God to advocate for us. And notice in verse 26 how the ones who speak evil eventually, they're dishonored themselves. And then in verses 27 and 28, David praises God. He's a priest provided a refuge for his own. And that even the wicked will have to eventually admit that God does take care of his people. We should praise him because of that. Now, on to Psalm 36. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. I love this title, The Servant of the Lord. It would seem to indicate that the psalm applies to someone who finds it a blessing to be a servant of God. This is a psalm of joyful service. And I think about the people that are serving outside with the kids with VBS this week and how much joy they seem to have while doing that. That's what, that's what serving the Lord should be. It should be joyful. It should be, we, should, we should want to express Gratitude for being able to serve him. And it should be always a blessing to us. And then the wicked are contrasted with the righteous through this psalm. And, and God is lifted up in praise. Obedience is emphasized and disobedience is described as rebellion throughout this psalm. So in verses 1 through 4, as we see David describing the rebellious, says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good, nor does he abhor evil. So the first part of the psalm, the character of a wicked man in verse 1. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of God. God. God had given David the wisdom and the vision 
to see that the evil workings of a person is because they don't fear him. They don't honor him. So he attributes that. And God gave him a vision to see that. He says, an oracle within my heart, David says, concerning the transgression of the wicked. See, a healthy fear of God is necessary to live this Christian life in a way that honors Him. You know, and there's a lot of things said about the fear of God, that it's really the awe of God to put Him in His proper place. But I think that there should be a healthy fear also in in the natural sense of God. I, I like what John Piper says. He said, God is so powerful and so holy and so awesome that you would not dare to run away from, but only run to him. That as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that you would tremble if you feel any inclination to leave this God. He says that as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that you would tremble if you feel any inclination to leave this God. So that healthy fear of God. And then David says that, that the wicked person calls evil good. He sees life upside down from the way we see life. And it almost gets back to what we spoke about in, in Psalm 35, that it's just a different worldview. He views what he's doing as good, and so he continues in it. He doesn't see it as evil. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't care to. And in verse 3, he's a hypocrite. You know, goodness is no longer a part of who he is. And not only does he devise evil, and he he puts himself in a place to do evil, but he doesn't hate evil like God does. So there's that twofold way that a wicked person, uh, the characteristics of a wicked person. And then in verses 5 through 9, David extols the attributes of God. He says, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the rivers of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So the second part of the psalm, God's patience and his mercy in verses 5 and 6, to all creatures, but particularly to his his people. David describes the mercy and faithfulness and depth of God's love. And we, we sing that song, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. You know, we, we sing of that. But it still doesn't describe it. It doesn't completely give us a picture of God's grace and His mercy and His faithfulness. Because His judgments are unfathomable. 
His judgments are deeper than we can even imagine. And David expresses that in verse 6. And then he describes the protection of God's love in verses 7 and 8. That we can be assured of being under His divine protection because it's in His character to shelter His children. And then we see how we receive fulfillment from a relationship with God. And an abundant life is a byproduct of knowing Him. And then in verses 10 through 12, again, he, he prays that the attributes of God may be fully experienced by God's people as a whole and also by Himself personally. It says, Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. Where the, there the workers of iniquity have fallen, they have been cast down and are not able to rise. So here in these verses we see David proclaiming his trust in God's judgment on the wicked. And again, sometimes we don't see it. Maybe we, would never, we will never see it in this life. But God is always righteous to judge. And then uh, Psalm 37. We're going to see if we can get through this in about 10, 12 minutes. Uh, it's a psalm of David, written, as it says in verse 25, in his old age. And I think that's, that's instructive to us. Why? Because as we get older, we should be getting wiser. As we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we should be gaining more wisdom. We shouldn't be in the same place we were when we were maybe new believers, young in our relationship with the Lord. And then the great mystery of the prosperity of the wicked and the affliction of the righteous. The thing that's confused believers for years and how we deal with that in light of the future. How many times we think that God is being kind to the wicked while allowing affliction in the lives of believers? But I love this psalm because it, it sort of puts that to rest. It stills the heart of God's people as to how he deals with his sheep as well as the wolves that surround them. So we'll go through a few verses at a time. It's basically, it's more like a proverb, a, a group of proverbs. So we can, we can sort of kick off a, a few verses at once. Um, verse 1 and 2, a psalm of David do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. So we need to keep our perspective. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we think we see in this world, it may seem like the wicked are prospering, but we can't be envious of that because we should know the end that they will be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. God will make all things right. And then in verses 3 through 7, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Again, we see here, delighting yourself in godly things, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him. And he shall bring it to pass. 
He shall bring forth righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. I love this because basically David is saying, don't worry about the other guy. Look at what God is doing in your life and be blessed at what he's doing. He gives us these four encouragements. He says, trust. Regardless of the circumstances, we need to trust in him. Delight. Our desires should be aligned with his desires. Our will should be his will. And he'll bring us the desires of our heart. Commit. Commitment. A difficult concept for a lot of people. We need to commit to God and to godly living. And then whatever is good will come about for us. And then rest. Another encouragement. Rest rest and wait. Two things that we really don't do well as believers. Resting and waiting. But again, something here that David is trying to tell us. We don't rest sometimes because we think we need to do something to accomplish God's will. And we don't wait very well because... See, our timetable is always shorter than God's timetable. We don't see the end from the beginning, but he does. And then verse 8, Seek from, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. See, worry doesn't make anything better. Matter of fact, it could make things worse. So don't fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Blessed are the meek, it says in Matthew 5, 5, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, that perspective to be able to see beyond what's right in front of us, to be able to see beyond our circumstances and how we think God is dealing with things and to know the end. God blesses the humble and he'll bring things around to to the right conclusion. The, The wicked plots against the just in verse 12 and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him. I love that. Did you ever hear that? Read that in the scriptures? The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. See, God knows the end. Now, I love the thought of God laughing at him, so that kind of takes us off the hook. So we don't have to do that, because we really shouldn't do that. You know, allow God to do that. He sees the end. We should be praying for those people. Pray that they'll turn from their wickedness. And in verse 16 through 22, A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadow, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. Very poetic language here. We, get to, we really get the point. 
The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy, mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. And again, at the beginning here, we see we shouldn't judge God's blessings in monetary terms. So even if we struggle in this world in an economic sense, we have an inheritance that far exceeds any earthly possession. We have an inheritance in the saints, it says in Ephesians 1.18. Something much greater than earth, earthly possessions. Then in verses 23 and 24, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. God sustains those who seek him and we will fall in this, in this life. But he won't leave us there. He won't leave us alone. He won't leave us fallen. He'll lift us up. And I love that about, about the Lord. It says uh, in verses 25 through 33, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. David's saying throughout my entire long life, I've seen God's faithfulness to his people. It's never failed. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judge. So again, we see the experience of David in his long life. And, and for us, the older we get, the wiser we should get as we see things, as we experience things, as we deal with things in our life, as we see God's faithfulness. It should bring us more peace and wisdom in our, in our older years. And those who love God in verse 30 and 31 speak of godly things. Sometimes you can just tell by how a person speaks whether they're a Christian or not. It's, 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 just, it's just something that's obvious. And then in verses 34 to 40, wait on the Lord and keep his way and she, he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, and he could not be found. Again, we see David telling us to wait, be patient. And that great contrast between the wicked. You know, sometimes you see them lifted up in power, definitely prospering, but... but Again, in verse 36, but he passes away. He was no more. David has that perspective. Mark the blameless, blameless man in verse 37 and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. 
but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. David encourages us to observe how God deals with his children. Watch the blessings that he pours out and believe that God has peace for those who love him. It says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. And God will bring all things into order in verses 39 and 40. Salvation. Salvation not from, all, from temporal troubles, certainly. It says in, in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. At the time that we're in a really tough circumstance, God definitely will be our salvation in those things, but also our salvation for eternal life because of our faith in Him and because we trust Him, it says in verse 40. He will save us. So in these three Psalms, a lot, a lot of perspective on who God is, how He deals with the righteous and He deals with the wicked, a lot about waiting on the Lord, not just looking with our eyes at what we see, but understanding God's character and just allowing that to minister to our hearts. Because sometimes we can't go by what we see. We just have to know that we know who God is, trust in His goodness and faithfulness. Some very, I believe, practical lessons that I think we can all apply to our lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do.